Guess what happens when a gardener goes to the Harley Davidson 120th Homecoming Carol? I'm pretty sure I can guess because I saw some of this stuff on Instagram. Tell me, what do you do? Uh, she walks around the Airbnb where she's staying and videos and photographs the gardens. I bet she does because I saw some of them and they were setting up a farmer's market across the street. They were. It was a beautiful farmer's market with homemade pastries, which I couldn't eat. But other people in our group ate and I sat and watched them and thought those look good. Um, there was even a Harley Davidson themed garden and they had a Harley Davidson flag and Harley's colors are traditionally orange and black. So they had orange and black, dark purple stemmed begonias. They bloomed orange with those beautiful dark purple leaves. Oh, it was oh, nice. I think I'll put it on our, I think I'll put it on our Substack newsletter. Ooh, that'll be nice. People look forward to that. So get us started on this week's podcast, Dee. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country, about an acre and a half. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we would like for you to love it too. Yes, we would. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. I think you should share because... I basically did nothing because I was gone. Well, I didn't put this in the show notes, but Garden Club went to a florist and we arranged flowers on Monday afternoon. I brought back a nice bowl with hydrangeas and roses and carnations and status. Uh, and I think I could actually repeat it. So that was kind of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Very relaxing meeting. What else did you do? I finished pruning most of the shrubs that I wanted to prune. So that was good. Picked some green beans, squash. I mowed and trimmed. I picked the first big tomato. It was just about right. Not quite. Been sitting on the counter. So when we get done recording, I am having my first BLT of the summer Yum. for lunch. Yum. And then we didn't get a lot of rain. But then yesterday, Saturday morning, it sprinkled just enough for, to be annoying, but not enough to matter. Yeah. And then last night we got a quarter of an inch of rain. So this morning I was out, I tied up tomatoes again, picked more veggies. That is, that's, you know, summertime in yeah. the garden. Summertime. So I did basically nothing in the garden except for harvest tomatoes before I left. And they were like, you know, partially ripe. Now they're fully ripe. And I'm probably going to eat one for my lunch. And then I also gave my children who I was paying Detailed instructions on watering the pelargoniums while I was gone because they're not on uh, drip irrigation. And it rained a lot. So I think we're okay. I haven't checked the rain gauge. I didn't get home last night until 9.30 p.m. But I've got some things to do this week. So weeding, I'm sure. Shall we talk about playing favorites? Yes, playing favorites. Go for it. Well, it's the black strawberry tomatoes at my house. Even though I've got some great main season tomatoes, there is something about those black strawberry tomatoes. They're the most beautiful tomatoes I've ever seen. And they look really good on a plate or in a salad and they taste really good. So my black strawberry that I grew from seed that you sent me 
They look lovely. The plants are big. There's a lot of tomatoes on them. I've been eyeballing that. And also you sent me Evil Olive. She's got a lot of plants or tomatoes on her, which, you know, I was worried about my tomato plants. Yeah, I was too. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're fine now. I mean, mine, there was so much rain here that I had to turn off the drip irrigation and because they were just getting too much water. And so um, I was really worried about them. I was very worried about Evil Olive. Evil Olive looked like it was going to do nothing and it had really bad growth at the beginning, but now it's just taken off. I don't, and it's produced a ton oh, yeah. of tomatoes. Oh yeah. It's going to be a good year. What's your favorite? So my favorite, my favorite, my double tiger lilies are just starting to come into bloom. And those are the most unusual flowers, the Lilium lancifolium floroplano. Floroplano. Mm-hmm. They look fancy, but they are easy to grow. So those are starting to bloom, and I, I do like those. You know what's interesting? Mine are blooming at the same time. Well, mine are just starting to bloom. Okay. Well, mine are in the middle. So okay. there you go. Isn't That's that fun. cool? They do look fancy, and they are not hard to grow, unless, of course, you have lily beetles, and then, you know, all bets are off. Well, mine are spreading too. So I just let them drop little seeds and things and they're spreading out nicely. I gave some to my sister, my older sister. I thought her grandkids would like seeing them. I think they would too. All right. Here is the quote. A walk in nature walks the soul back home. Mary Davis. And I did not look up Mary Davis. I neither, but I think she sounds like my kind of girl. Yes. All right, flowers. We're going to talk about perennial hibiscus and new varieties. And there are quite a few new varieties out. We we are looking at some of them. This is not an all-inclusive list. But they've been working on perennial hibiscus for quite a while. They've also been working on Rose of Sharon. And when I say they, I mean hybridizers. So I've been seeing lots of both of these. And they're both considered hibiscus now. But we're talking about these hibiscus, not the Rose of Sharon which used to be Althea, I'm just going to say, and now it's a hibiscus. So it just complicates everything. Anyway, back to the perennial hibiscus, new varieties, summerific holy grail and summerific perfect storm. I have both of those. How lovely. I knew you did. I think I knew you did. Actually, one of them is blooming right now. The big red one is blooming right now. And the grasshoppers haven't found them yet. And their dark leaves make me really happy. Both of these have the dark purple leaves. And I think Summerific Perfect Storm is the one that's white with the deep pink, dark pink veining in the middle of it. Sounds and I pretty. think Holy Grail is a, is a red. Let me see. Yep, it's a red because it highlighted, came right up. So that's the one that is blooming right now. And um, I I also have one. Do you grow any of these? I saw in your notes that you said at one time you did. Well, I had one that uh, I got years ago. It was a gigantic pink one. It was back in the flower border along the back of the vegetable garden. And it was just kind of getting in the way of all my... Well, it was getting in the way of the path because I forget how big these things get. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to move that. And I moved it someplace. And then I might have forgotten to water it. And God did not send any rain. And so I do not think it exists anymore. Right. So even some, which is sad, even some horrific holy grail, which is just a gorgeous thing. It grows four to six feet, four to four and a half feet high. They're big. 
to five feet wide. Yeah, they are not a small plant, but here's what I like about them. They die all the way to the ground in the winter. And then you have these dead sticks and you think that they're dead, but they're not. And then they just, as soon as it gets warm, they start shooting up leaves and all of a sudden they're this big shrub in the middle or the back of the border. And I can see this one, the one I just said, summerific, holy grail. So you're, you're getting new growth on the stems. No, I'm getting new growth from the ground up. They die all the way to the ground here. Yes. Same here. And I, I would normally just cut those off in the fall. Well, I don't, you know, I don't clean up my garden in the fall and birds actually perch on the stems. And so I figure it just gives them somewhere to perch. And then I just clean it all up in the spring, but either way, anyway, they're really beautiful. They have dark leaves. And then there, there's a whole article um, from Proven Winners about their top 10 hardy hibiscus, uh-huh. which of course is promoting their plants. But um there's Berry Awesome, which I may also have. There's Perfect Storm, Holy Grail. I have Perfect Storm and Holy Grail. And then and then they also are going to talk in this one about the Rose of Sharon. So if you want to, I mean, we could talk about Rose of Sharon next week if you want to, but great plants. And then if you go over to American Meadows, they have the Luna varieties. And the Luna varieties are also beautiful. So if you go over to look at theirs, and we'll link to these, the Luna varieties are a little bit different. So these aren't like tropical hibiscus, which, you know, just I grow them in a pot unless you live way down south and then, you know, they'll overwinter. But here they won't. These overwinter. That's one of the big things. The other thing is, is their blooms are bigger. Oh, they're big as dinner plates. Yeah. And so Luna, these all have green leaves and they're fabulous too. I also have one called Be My Valentine or My Valentine that I bought years ago that is a dwarf variety. And I have another one called Cranberry. I think it's Cranberry Crush and it's a short variety too. And then I have Moy Grande, not Muy, Moy. I don't know why it's Moy, maybe my, I don't know. Anyway, Moy Grande gets easily six feet tall. That is a big four and a half feet wide. Yeah, it's huge. And it has great big, huge blooms. My only complaint about these hibiscus is that grasshoppers love them. So I'm going to go out and spray them with um, garlic oil next week because we're supposed to have a cool down next week. I can't spray anything with oil above 90 degrees. So they're just a great plant. And I think more people should grow them. And think of them as a big old shrub, like in the back. Yeah, you could think of them as a big old shrub. And that's that's probably where I failed is I had them in this 18-inch narrow bed. And then they would get in the way of the path. And I'm like, you're in the way. Yeah, those are too big. Yeah. So I would have to think where I have room for something like that, though. My garden is I think at the a little end bit of crowded. Your garden, at the very end of your garden, so that they were a focal point. Do you, you mean the end of a one of the beds where the vegetables are? Yeah, at the very back. Beside, no, because you know what? No. They'll bring in pollinators. They'll get in the way of the path back there. Oh, that I was the problem. Behind the beds. I don't know what you're going to do. Anyway, they're wonderful plants. There's also the Texas star types. And so the big joke used to be that the Texas star types, that their leaves look like marijuana. But frankly, marijuana is everywhere now. So who cares? It kind of ruins the joke. And... um They're hardy up to zone four. 
Yeah. So you can grow them pretty far north. I looked that up because I thought, I know I can grow them here without any problem. I'm pretty sure you can grow them in five, but they said all the way to four. Now, if I was in four, I might put a a layer of mulch over the roots in the fall just to double be sure. Like over the crown, just loosely so that, you know. Yeah. They just come back here every year and they're easy and you don't have to do anything to them. They are very easy, but when you're, when you move them and you forget to water them like I do, then they're not. I have a neighbor around the way and they have these in their front bed, kind of in between the shrubs. They sort of show up about this time of year and they look very lovely. They got a bunch of pink ones. It's an easy plant to share if you remember that watering part. Yes. Well, the problem, of course, is you don't really notice they're there until um, it's, summer and that's when you don't really want to move things and it'd be really easy to kill them that way the other thing i i guess i have to give them a shout out too because the one that i have out here the one summerific with the dark leaves and the red blooms it got stepped on by me maybe the deer i don't know and i broke off two stems of it but you know what that thing it did it did great it just grew other stems and went on and now it's doing great out there it said i'll show d uh, she's it's not going to stop me. <laughs> it's only been out for one season. So anything else you want to say about perennial hibiscus? Just what I said is they're great tropical look, but they are hardy. They're big. Plan where you're going to put them because they're big. And they are big. Uh, if you move them, you should water them. <laughs> oh, and they save you from little leaf syndrome. You know how sometimes you'll have a whole bunch of plants and they all have tiny leaves? Not these babies, they have big old leaves. No, great big leaves, great big leaves. All right, do that next quote. Okay. Slow things are beautiful. The closing of day, the pause of the wave that curves downward to spray, the ember that crumbles, the opening flower, and the ox that moves on in the quiet of power. That was by Elizabeth Coatesworth. I don't know her. I'll s- I didn't look, I did not look up any of these people. I don't we know. We were why. busy. We were busy. That's why. So for vegetables, it's summer. So we're going to talk about melons. And we're talking about melons, the cantaloupe, watermelon, honeydew, and the other type of melon I'd put in there is pumpkins. Yeah. Cause they're all part of that group. And um, the interesting thing is I, you said why we don't grow them. Well, I do grow cantaloupe quite often. Um, I like cantaloupe a lot. My husband really likes cantaloupe. But now that there's just two of us, you don't need very much of it, right? I've no. never, I've only grown honeydew like once or twice because that's such a long season. It takes forever to mature. And that's why you always get it in restaurants and it's not ripe because it's hard to get it ripe. And then there's, and I may be saying this wrong, the Sharon Tay um, melons. I grew those one year and they're, kind of like a cantaloupe, but, you know, they said, kept talking about how perfumed they were and how much better they were. And I guess you just have to have the right palate for it because I thought they tasted like yuck. So I never grew them again. And then I, I mostly grow cantaloupe. I grew a cantaloupe and I, I should have looked up the variety before we did this podcast. And I don't know if I can find the variety afterwards, but it would made a much smaller melon. And so it was almost a personal size to eat, which was, that I was pretty that. good. 
Yeah. It was an heirloom variety, as I recall. Yeah, it was little. It's kind of like the moon and stars watermelon that is smaller too. And now they got really small watermelons. But the truth of the matter is in Oklahoma, and I'm sure in Indiana, this time of year, every roadside stand is just filled with watermelons and cantaloupe that are grown by farmers who do this as a specialty item. So I just buy one for Bill and me. However, I do have a funny cantaloupe story. I want to hear your funny cantaloupe story. So I was pregnant with Megan and I decided to do the three sisters. Gosh, that would be 30 years ago. Wow. Okay. So I was pregnant with Megan. I think she, yeah, I think she's 30 or 31. And um, I decided to do corn and then melons and uh, instead of the squash, I did melons. And what's the third thing? Beans. Okay. Well, corn grew and the beans grew and then I got pregnant and I was sick at my stomach all the time. And then the ambrosia um, cantaloupes went absolutely crazy in that garden down. It's down in where it's a flower garden in the backyard. Anyway, every time I went outside, I would get sick at my stomach because the whole area was perfumed with melons. And I had melons everywhere. I had melons coming out of my ears and I couldn't eat any of them. That's the end of my story. It was the most successful thing I grew that year. And I just stood out there and looked at it and thought, I can't eat you. And grass grew up in my garden. So see, there are no, my garden isn't perfect, even especially when I'm pregnant, which I don't get pregnant anymore. Yay. Okay. That's all. I'm looking now to see. I was going to say about the melons. Um, I have a pumpkin out there that I got from Burpee to Grow. And we talked yep. about it earlier this season. So I didn't write down the name of it. It's, it's mostly just, it's just two vines right now. And I have not yet seen not yet seen. Listen to me. I haven't seen any uh, pumpkins form yet. It looks like it's in the stage where it has the male flowers, but I haven't seen a female flower yet. So we shall okay, see. So I have a pumpkin growing by accident. It's down in my brush pile. It's one of those uh-huh. pumpkins I threw down there. And I'll be honest, it just started getting male pumpkin flowers. And I don't expect it to make pumpkins because I'm doing absolutely nothing for it. But my thought is I might fry the pumpkin blossoms because I love those. So I might do I have that. Not, I have not fried those. Oh, but fabulous. the reason I don't grow melons is it does take a long, long time to get a harvest. Yeah, it does. And really does. I know in southwestern Indiana, they grow them where they have uh, a lot of sandy soil. And they grow something called a Decker melon, which is from Decker, Indiana. So I do look for Decker melons in the late summer because they're actually pretty good. And they say mm-hmm. it's because of where they're growing. And in our case, um, yeah, I'm sure that's true because especially with watermelons. In our case, um, it's rush springs, although we get watermelons from lots of places. But this this is a cantaloupe, not a watermelon. Oh, well, I'm talking about watermelons. Okay. I mean, we're just discussing melons. All right. I also found... Um, the cantaloupe that Bill really loves, which is ambrosia. And I'm putting it in our show notes. Okay. That's all we have to say, isn't it? Oh, you started to say grow, sow seeds directly. Yeah. I sowed them in a hill. They're not hard to grow. They just take forever. And you can buy seedlings like Burpee sent me the seedling and it's easy to plop a seedling in as well. And also um, cucumber beetles go after them. So do squash bugs, but not as bad. Squash vine borers do a little bit, but not really. I mean, cucumber beetles are the biggest problem here. And, and here the problem can be that they just, uh, you can, if, if the melons are on the ground and often they are on the ground, you need to kind of 
do something to lift them up off the ground so that they don't rot laying right there. or have that bald spot on one side and some people yeah. put them on um pieces of cardboard yeah you know but just and something if you're growing them for uh display at the state fair they turn them so there's just all kinds well of, you got to be yeah. careful turning them because you don't want to break that stem nope you don't but I'm not going to be growing them for the state fair. Um, and then shall we do, okay. Are we done talking about melons? I guess we are done talking about melons. Shall I do my Masha, my minute with Masha? Yes, because the cat is clearly the star this morning. I've seen her a bunch. Yeah. She, um, she missed me terribly. Oh, oh she and sure did. She missed me terribly. So she is sitting up here on the desk now. I held her for a little bit and now she's sitting up resting on the desk and just holding me with her paw because, so, you know. Do you think she remembers that you were gone yesterday now that you're back? I don't know. I don't know if she knows, does or not. They say she, dogs. She's kind of clingy. Dogs, they've got like a 10 second memory, but. Well, that's dogs for sure. Who knows? All right. Hey, you want to do the next quote? If you have enough book space, I don't want to talk to you. Terry Pratchett, who's an author. Yeah. <laughs> so on the bookshelf this week is In the Garden with Jane Austen by Kim Wilson, um, with a forward by Celia Simpson, who is the head gardener at Jane Austen's house. So this is yep. a nice little book. It's from 2008. We pulled this off the shelf. I had it. You had it and got rid of it. it I may like. still have it. I don't know. But anyway, if if you are into Jane Austen and you're into that time period in history and you want to mo know more about the gardens, this is the book. So she spends quite a bit of time talking about the cottage garden around Jane Austen, where she finally ended up living, you know, as a, mm -hmm. as a single woman, she was kind of at the mercy Dependent of family, family, you know, to figure yeah. out, but she talks about that. And then she talks about the aristocracy, type gardens that they would have had like in uh, Pride and Prejudice, the fancy places. Mm -hmm. And yep. then she goes into some detail on some of the gardens that were used in some of the adaptations that have been filmed. Um, if you wanted to go visit some of those, she's got information on those. So all in all, it's, it's history, literature, and gardening in one book. And what do we like, Dee? History, literature, and gardening. Yes. And puzzles. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, and puzzles, and I'm just saying, oh, and they, I just passed a, it's not really a puzzle, but a labyrinth garden. Yeah. And I was going to say the aristocracy's gardens were all clipped hedges and stuff because they had all the gardeners to do it. Oh, yeah. And the cottage gardens were usually things that were taken home by the workers on the estate or thrown in there along with their vegetables. So they looked more jumbled like my garden, like my, my garden. garden. Yes. And I like it. So anyway, I've been kind of picking this up through the week and browsing through it and actually very much enjoying it. I'm glad that I have it in my library. Um, it's, I have to go see if it's in mine. Yeah. It's out of print. Maybe, but Good use copies are available, and I'll show you. But I mean, it's it's not a thick book. It's very no, it's not huge. Medium. It's, it's from our friends at Francis Lincoln, which we love. Francis Lincoln. Anyway, love them. That's it. In the Garden with Jane Austen by Kim Wilson. I think it is. If you're at all into Jane Austen books, it ought to yeah. be on your shelf with those. That's all I have to say. It it would be perfect. 
Ready for the next quote? Yes. It's such a happiness when good people get together. Jane Austen. And that brings us to our dirt, which I am fascinated by. We have two pieces of dirt. I like your piece the best. So I saw this thing on Instagram and I forgot to t- figure out who it was from. But when I did a search, it's there, there's it's all over the Internet. But if you need to stratify seeds, as in give them a cold treatment, one of the ways suggested is to freeze them in ice cubes and then throw the ice cubes out into the garden in the spring when it's time for them to start germinating. Okay. So what you do is you fill ice cube trays half full. And then when they're frozen, you pull them out and you let them melt just a little bit. And then you put a couple of seeds in each cube, add some more water, freeze it up, leave it in there. And then when it is time to sow, you can pull those out. And if you're sowing inside, you can actually just plunk that uh, ice cube on the pot and then cover it with a little bit of dirt and it'll kind of melt in there. So Uh poppies, all kinds of things. And I found an article on Garden Gate Magazine where they have a list of some of the seeds where this method works. So of course- I would think it would work for milkweed. Milkweed. We're going to try it, Dee. We are totally trying it. So what I want to know is how early do we freeze them? How long ahead? You know, that's the grand experiment. I don't really know. I need to try poppies this year. I need to really try to grow poppies. Yes. I mean, not just, not just Shirley poppies, big poppies. Well, we'll do more research to figure out how long, how far ahead. And once they're frozen, it seems to me that they're in an inanimate state. And so you could, you know, as soon as you had them, you could freeze them. And I don't know that they have to be there like four or six weeks or whatever. But anyway, that's, that's the plan to freeze some ice cubes of seeds and, and give it a whirl. Sounds like a good plan to me. I'm taking a picture of Masha next to us recording. Okay. It's funny. Okay. I'm going to send it to listeners. Yeah. All right. So the next part of our dirt is I'm reading a tree grows in book Brooklyn. Finally, I'm embarrassed to say I never read it because everybody's read it, but me, have you read it? No, no. Apparently I I feel better now. Yeah, I bet you do. Um, I'm reading it. It was on the well-read mom summer list. And I had to laugh because when I, at the very beginning of the book, when I'm reading it, I realized what tree she was talking about. Yeah. And I was like, no wonder it did so well in Brooklyn growing practically in concrete, which of course it's a metaphor for her life. But um, the tree of heaven, which is Alianthus altissima, is a rapidly growing deciduous tree native to China that has become a widespread invasive species across North America. Oh yeah. And I was telling you last week when we were talked about this being the dirt that my grandmother who lived in down near downtown Indianapolis, she died in 1972. But I remember as a kid, she had a tree of heaven in her backyard and they had just come out with how invasive and horrible and you shouldn't plant, you know, it was illegal now to plant Because it's beautiful, them. right? Isn't it a beautiful tree? It's a big tree. It's a big tree and it has uh, (laughs) ferny-like leaves, I'll say. But she was afraid that the police were going to come and arrest her for having that dumb tree back there, which, of course, they weren't. That's funny. She was starting to have some dementia problems. 
Yeah, I can see where that would be. Oh, bless her heart. Um, The tree of heaven was brought from China to the United States in the late 1700s as a horticultural specimen, as many of these things are, and a shade tree because it gets big. So people loved that it was easy to establish. It grew rapidly and it had no insect or disease problems. I wonder if Japanese beetles eat it. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, it's a big, big problem. It has spread all over the Northeastern United States and apparently into Indiana. And it is a it is a big problem. So we found this actually from nature.org. Yes. And um, I I just had to laugh because, you know, I've heard about this book my whole life. I open up or read about three pages and I'm like, oh, for Pete's sake, it's the tree of heaven. And by the way, it stinks. So, well, here's the other thing: the tree of heaven. You know, when you see trees growing in the sidewalk, and mm-hmm. you know, up against the foundation of old urban buildings, even up on the roofs where dirt is accumulated, yeah, and they kind of have a, a compound leaf. It's tree of heaven, and almost always you can you can guarantee it, and you should pull that sucker out. You should not plant, and if you have one. I mean, these these are horrible trees. Horrible. They're bad trees. Bad trees. All right. So you want to do the next quote before we go into our rabbit Well, holes? let us say it's a bad tree because here nothing can stop it. It's, it. it's outside of its natural habitat. No insect, no disease. Nothing stops it. And, that's, and we can say that this is a bigger issue, too, because um, there are a lot of things like that. Ligustrum is that way, although they're trying to create species that don't have any leaves, like Ligustrum sunshine does you not mean I mean, flowers, have not leaves. leaves. I meant flowers, flowers with seeds. I meant seeds. So Ligustrum can be a huge problem. Um, there's just so many plants that are a huge problem. Butterfly bush is not invasive in Oklahoma. No way, no how. But boy, out west it is. Blackberries are a huge problem out west. Uh, some ornamental grasses. I mean, it just, it things that are brought to the United States that we don't isolate and um, watch for a while, you know, they can be a problem. I mean, it is so bad over in the Western part of the United States about butterfly bushes that you and I were on some tour somewhere and people were just like clutching their pearls quite literally, although nobody had pearls on, but they were very upset because we were in a garden. I think it was in Seattle or somewhere and it they had one, but it turned out it was a cultivar that did not produce seeds. We just hope it doesn't turn around and mix with one's that do produce seeds. So gardening is complicated and bringing plants to market is complicated. That it is. I'm going to do a quote. It isn't what we say or think that defines us, but what we do. Another Jane Austen quote. So rabbit holes, you asked me how it's going with my puzzle. I haven't touched it yet. I got to set it up where dingoes here can't get to it. Because she's bad. She really has a thing for puzzles. And I'm busy. I've been really busy. I don't have a rabbit hole. You've had really good weather for gardening. And then you went off to the Harley Davidson convention. I did. But that's my last trip until September when I go to the fling. There you go. Which is no longer called the Garden Bloggers Fling. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. It's just called the fling because a lot of people don't even have blogs anymore. So they're on Instagram or Okay. Twitter or that TikTok. makes sense. That makes sense. It does. What's your rabbit hole? Good so, Lord, it's long. A uh, couple of rabbit holes. One of them was I got this new book called The Novel Cure by 
Ella Bertoud and Susan Elderkin, and they call themselves bibliotherapists. And so for whatever ails you in the book, they tell you what novel you should read. And so they said, you know, like a lot of people recommend different nonfiction books for different kinds of things. And they're like Mm -hmm. novels, novels, novels are the real cure. And so, so that keeping with our Jane Austen theme, so they, for example, they said, uh, if your ailment is being a daddy's girl, they recommend that you read um, Emma. And if you're, because she is, if you, if you are arrogant, they suggest that you read Pride and Prejudice. Good choice. There's an index with the authors. So you can look down to see if your favorite authors are included. Um, And then they have a 10 best list for different things. So they have the 10 less, the 10 best novels for 60 somethings, which, which we are. That's us. Yeah. And and you said we should write a Hort, but. Bio, Hort, bi- I can't. I, can't I, I misspelled that. it. Hort biblio, okay. bibliotherapy. Hort bibliotherapy. We could recommend oh, gardening books to people. Well, that sounds like fun. We do every week. We just don't have a top 10 list. We could though. Yeah. So the other <laughs> rabbit hole I went down is I saw this, uh, a person on Instagram, I think it was Black Forager. And uh-huh. she showed how to make rose water. So I don't know yes, if you, you sent it to me. You, you, get a pan, fill it with water and the rose petals, and then you put a bowl in the center and then you invert the lid over the pan and you heat the water so that it starts to simmer. And then you put ice on top of the lid and then the ice will cause as the steam comes up, it'll condense when it hits the ice and it'll fall into the bowl and you'll have rose water. Okay. You do that. I was going to do it, D. I had some roses out there. They weren't as scented as I'd like, but I didn't have very many. And then when I picked a bunch of them, they had earwigs in them. And I'm thinking, oh, gross, I'm not doing this with this. And then I thought, well, I'll make lavender water. And all my lavender is all dried up. And it's like, oh, I need to trim back my lavender. It's all done. I do too. And I thought, I wonder if you could boil the lavender leaves to get the oils off of that. Because that's probably where the you oils could. are. It wouldn't be quite the same, but you could do that. Sure. So I've got that on my list of things that Carol wants to try when she has a bunch of rose petals. Okay. Sounds good. Those are my rabbit holes. Well, that's our rabbit holes because I really don't have one. I was immersed in Harley Davidson everything all weekend long. It was really fun though. I sat with a lady on the way back on the first flight. Yeah. And she was super sweet and her husband rides too. And so we sh- compared pictures and their groups and all that. It was really like a big club. So she was fleeing as well and her husband was going to ride <laughs> his bike back. Yeah. We both didn't ride back. She was like, I'm not doing that. I said, I've done it once. And she said, I'll ride about four hours, but that's all I'm doing. And it it takes them two days to get back. So, all right. This is our garden commissions. You go first and then I'll go. So it's summertime. We've got to harvest, weed, water, mow, repeat. Harvest, weed, water, mow, repeat. I am now thinking about, I wrote a blog post last night, doubling my seed starting capacity by buying another metal I, rack I from that. Costco. <laughs> yeah. And I, I used to have two racks. They weren't quite as big as these. And I thought, well, if I if I get the room kind of cleaned up and I get rid of some plants that just aren't performing, I probably have room on the other side to put another rack and, mm-hmm. you know, plug it in and put the lights and everything. And so I thought, you know what, 
As much as I have loved the seedlings I've grown this year, zinnias, celosia, snapdragons, all my peppers, all my tomatoes, petunias, I need to, I need more space. So I'm thinking about that. You know what? I think you should do it because I've never regretted starting my, I mean, my, I love mine. I love my seed starting rack. And this year I started so much from seed that I started a bunch of stuff in the greenhouse. And then I started a bunch of stuff on my seed rack too. I got a little overwhelmed. I had a lot of stuff going, but um, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. And I, I just, a lot of little stuff is sort of just like made its way into the sunroom. And I'm like, I can clear this out. That's where the rack's going to go. So I might order that. The trick on that thing is to order it from Costco to be delivered because then you don't have to mess with trying to get that big thing home. Yeah, because that's a lot of work. Okay, in my garden, I will be weeding, I'm sure, because it rained a lot while I was gone. I need to go out and check the zinnias and my other cut flowers to see if they need deadheading. I need to harvest tomatoes, eggplant, and peppers on repeat and, you know, just enjoy the garden when it's not so unbelievably hot like it's going to be today. But they say next week we're getting another cool down, thank God. And so I'll enjoy it then. Well, we're supposed to get some nice rain the first part of this week, which will be nice. But the air quality went bad again. The air quality went bad again. Yeah. Did you hear me cough a couple of times? The air quality was bad in Wisconsin and I was on the back of a motorcycle. I couldn't figure out what it was because it wasn't as bad as like during the very worst part of it. But I just knew that I couldn't, that even though I was using all my medicine that I was just, I was like, what is blooming up here that is giving me such fit? Well, then when we drove over the big bridge, which by the way, that's where Mill Organite's made. And so you smell Mill Organite as you drive over this big bridge. Yeah. Um, it's a fertilizer made from Milwaukee poop. Anyway, driving over it, I was looking around and I just saw this haze everywhere. And I said, Bill, what is that fog? And he goes, I don't know. Well, then there was an air quality report. It's those fires. Yeah. It's still those fires from Canada. So Golly. we're the number was 134 this morning, which is not as bad as over 200 like before but anyway you know i've never i've never had this before we'll just we'll just plow through d we just plow through yeah all right well we want to thank you for listening to the garden angelus i hope you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode we publish every week on wednesdays at 12 a.m eastern time if you listen to apple podcast we would love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. If you do, you'll get a link to listen to the podcast a day early. If you help, if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.